Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the greatest power in all the world. All authority in heaven and earth belong to you, Lord. Help us to believe that to the very depths of our souls today, that you have all the power. And thank you for the greatest purpose in all the world, to make disciples, Lord. And thank you for the greatest promise in all the world, that you will always, always be with us. So counting on your presence today, Lord, knowing that you are with us, we ask this simple prayer. Lord, help us to be with you as you are with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. Wow, what a great morning of music. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, uh, orchestra. Thank you, choir. Wow, great, great music. Uh, In in one service, uh, we have uh, Beethoven and B.B. McKinney and uh, Bill Reynolds all in the same service. I love the way Carlos surrenders to the Spirit and God directs him in putting together a a worship service. And thank you for praying for me this week. Uh, I'm feeling a good bit better. My dog and I are both feeling a good bit better. You may not have known about the dog, but um, while I had a cold, she ate a sago palm nut this week, and uh, she came a lot closer to death than I did. Um, and uh, I never knew how much I liked her till this week. And um, <clears throat> but I got that right uh, this week, and um, she got well. I'll, I'll not forget it on eleven, 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 which was a big day. Um, I wonder, did you miss 11-11-11? What were you doing at 11-11 on 11-11-11? One of the kids on Facebook said, I just can't miss this moment. I thought, what are you going to do? You just stare at the clock for that one minute, you know? It's 11-11. You, you can't have another moment like this till next December, 12-12 on 12-12-12. So just write it down. It's going to be big. Who knows what will happen? We had two weddings. We had a dinner. Uh, celebrating our veterans that day and uh, an, another event. Um, I needed to be four places at once, and it was impossible to do that, as you understand. But there are big moments in life, and we don't want to miss those moments. So how do we make the most of them? In our story in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is coming to one of those great moments in life, and he can't miss this moment. And it's a good thing for all of us that he did not miss that moment. Bigger than 11, 11, 11 is the moment when Jesus sets His face steadfastly, resolutely toward Jerusalem. He is headed to the cross. And um, our calendars, our calendars internationally are built around this before Christ and A.D. in the day of our Lord, Anno Domini. This is the turning point in Jesus' ministry. This is the turning point in world history. Let's not miss it. Would you open your Bibles with me? Luke chapter 9. We'll read verses 51 through 56. And let's stand together as we hear the word of the Lord. We are ordaining five deacons tonight. So be aware of that in our evening worship service. It'll be a great time together. Now hear the word of the Lord, Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord... Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? 
But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. And then in chapter 10, just a few verses down, verse 1, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus always knew what time it was, and he always knew where he was going. You, You hear it in these verses. Jesus understands that he's about to go up. He's about to be taken up. And the language reminds us of earlier in the same chapter when Jesus and his disciples see not only Moses but Elijah on the mountain. And remember Elijah was one who was taken up in a blaze of glory and Elijah was also one who called down fire from heaven on a couple of different occasions. And it's just this group of disciples who've still been debating about who's going to be the greatest. And I think maybe Jesus, just to stop the argument, gave them something to do. He sends a couple of them on ahead to make preparations. Because when Jesus came into a town, he came with a large entourage of people. And imagine how tiny these little villages in Samaria were. And so they needed to be sure that the people there were ready for them before they came. I learned early in our marriage that if I brought 25 people home unannounced, this would be a problem in the family. Jesus understands in that village that they may or may not be ready for him, and so he sends a couple of messengers ahead of him, just sort of an advance guard to make sure everything's okay. And everything would have been okay, except Jesus was going to Jerusalem. And the people in Samaria didn't like the people in Jerusalem. And by the way, the people in Jerusalem did not like the people in Samaria. In fact, the the good Jews of that day would have prayed every day, Thank you, God, that I am not a Samaritan. Thank you, God, that I am not. And so, out of their own uneasiness with Jesus' mission to go to Jerusalem, they say, He's not welcome here. They don't receive their king when he comes. And John and James are understandably upset by this, probably a little more upset than they should have been, I suppose, based upon their response. Um, Lord, let us just (laughs) give us a chance, Lord. We'll just incinerate them. We'll do a new Sodom and Gomorrah right here. We'll take care of these Samaritans for you. And Jesus turns pointedly, the text says, and rebukes them. And then they go on to another village. I wonder, how should we respond to rejection? When you and I are doing our very best to do what we think we're supposed to do, and people just don't accept that, or worse yet, don't accept us, don't extend hospitality to us, how are you and I to respond to those who reject us? Jesus gives us an example here. Unlike these sons of thunder who would like to retaliate, Jesus goes on with His purpose And I will say to you what I have said each time we have been together in this series. If we misunderstand Jesus' Messiahship, it will inevitably distort our discipleship. So we need to understand correctly who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. And what Jesus is not about is incinerating people. What He is about 
is redeeming people. And he's inviting these disciples to go with him. And the surprise of the gospel is that we are not here to deploy ballistic missiles against those who disagree with us. The surprise of the Messiahship is that Jesus is not at this moment going to reign by destroying and defeating all of his enemies. No, Jesus will reign now by going all the way down the Calvary Road to Jerusalem where he will be crucified and he has to go to Jerusalem in order to save the world. But he will come again to reign in glory. And the surprise of discipleship is that if we're going to go with him, we will have to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. That is to say, like Jesus, we will have to live lives of sacrificial dying service in order to someday reign with Him in glory. So the Gospel teaches us today that we are not free to retaliate against those who reject us. In fact, if you and I retaliate, Jesus rebukes that in us, just as He does these disciples. And just to sort of catch the spirit of the text, Jesus knows The time is now. This is his climactic, dramatic moment as the time approached for him to be taken up. Where's Jesus going? He's going to the New Jerusalem. But Jesus can't get to the New Jerusalem without going through the Old Jerusalem. Because a prophet can't be killed. The pundits in Jesus' day said a prophet can't be killed outside Jerusalem. Of Jerusalem, So Jesus must go to Jerusalem. Why? So that he can suffer outside the city gate. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 12. Why? So that he can make all the people holy. Jesus has to go to Jerusalem. He did not, by the way, have to go through Samaria. Except John chapter 4 verse 4 tells us Jesus felt some, not geographic compulsion, but spiritual compulsion. He had to go through Samaria and so he sends his servants because he wants them and they are still intoxicated by the experience on the mountaintop James and John can't forget the glow of the mountain the fire that they saw there the thunder that they heard in the voice of God there and they were that close to Elijah which I'm sure they reminded the other nine disciples over and over again and now they get to do the work of Elijah. Why was Elijah sent? Remember in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, in the last days I will send my servant before you. Chapter 4 verse 5, I will send Elijah. So John the Baptist comes in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for Jesus. But now he's off the scene and now Jesus sends some of his messengers. The word in Greek is angels. He sends some of his messengers, these disciples to go ahead of him to do what? To Prepare the way. Do you hear this? This is very much like the story of Elijah. So it's understandable that when things don't go the way they want them to, they're ready to call down fire from on high. You would think the people would have received Jesus. I read recently that Shaquille O'Neal stopped by the White House. He he knew that the president was a, a, a basketball fan And he thought, well, maybe that'll get me in the gate. And so he just stopped at the gate and showed him his championship rings and said, I know the president likes basketball. I was wondering if I could come in and see him. He didn't get very far with that. And he tweeted later and said, I tried to go see the president and they wouldn't let me in. Why, he writes. Well, apparently being a basketball player is not enough to get you into the White House. Even if the president likes basketball, that 
won't get you in. But Jesus had more claim than that, didn't he? And after all, as Abraham Kuyper said, Jesus looks at every square inch of the created universe and as sovereign Lord of all, he says about it all, mine. Yeah, that city was his. (laughs) That little village was his. The people in it. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And how does Jesus respond to that? It, it turns out that, that the people in that little Samaritan village, had they took exception with the fact that Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem. They didn't even want anybody who was going to Jerusalem to stop in their town. If you think this is old hat, try to get an Israeli stamp in your passport and go into an Arabic country today. See how that works for you. We were careful when we went to Israel and knew that we were going to Jordan that we didn't get a stamp in the passport because if the people in Jordan had seen an Israeli stamp in our passports, then we couldn't have gone into their country at all. In this day, in that day, we love to cluster by tribe, don't we? We know who our people are and we know who who is not a part of our people. And we have all kinds of ways of sort of stratifying culture so that we narrow it down to smaller and smaller groups. It's, it's our country. It's our people. It's our alma mater. It's us, us, us. But Jesus points us beyond us. They say there's a chemical hormone in our brains called oxytocin. And it's called by some scientists the love hormone because if you smell oxytocin, you are more willing to help and to care for other people. It's just a part of the way God has designed our brains. But let me show you how our fallenness has affected that creation. When they did a a study this recently, uh, it came out in the New York Times just this year, they said they did a study over in Amsterdam and they let the people smell this. And what they turned out as they looked at it more closely is that it does actually, oxytocin, this chemical in our brain, does make us love people more, but it only makes us love our people more. And as they did this study, they found that the people were more drawn to their own, but they were also more exclusive of those that they perceived not to be their own. This is the fallenness of humanity. God created us with a chemical in our brains to help and to love and to care, but our own sinful nature makes us be sort of specific in those whom we love and those whom we care for. And so it would have been easy for James and John in the spirit and power of Elijah, just to, to call down fire. They had seen fire on the mountain. They, after all, had been with Elijah. They wanted to be the new Elijah. We have seen Elijah. Now we want to be Elijah. Can we please nuke them until they glow? And Jesus says, no. And they go on to another village. And hear me when I say, It is ours, it is ours not to retaliate against those who disagree with us. And Jesus is saying, yeah, Elijah was big, but he wasn't big enough. And after all, Jesus was not consulting with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is the one to whom the prophets come to consult. And Jesus says our mission is bigger than that. It may be true in in 2 Kings chapter 1 verses 10 to 12 that Elijah calls down fire. 
But Jesus says that's not the fire. We're not here to fight. It's not about flight. It's more about light. The light we bring is not to incinerate people, but to illuminate people. This is what Christ has called us to. This is why He has placed us in this world, that that you and I might, as St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, We use words, but it is our privilege to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It wouldn't be very good news if if they just incinerated a village in Samaria. In fact, we'll find later in Luke's second book, in the book of Acts, that that in fact um, one of the servants, one of the disciples, one of the deacons in the early church, Philip, who becomes an evangelist, goes back to Samaria, and there's a great revival. And it may have happened, I don't know, but it might have happened in this little village that the message that Philip preached made it all the way to them. And this time they received the good news. But if they had been destroyed, it never would have happened. Here's the word of the Lord this morning. For God so loved the Samaritans that He gave His one and only Son, so that any of the Samaritans who believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And now, you know John 3.16, but do you know verse 17? Don't stop memorizing it, verse 16. Verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. No, Pete, and repeat, we can't destroy the city. We'll go on to another village because they may not accept me now, but somebody else may later. And they are reminders to us that we have been given a commission to share the good news. We heard about it, uh, how how members of our church are doing it on the computer, are sharing the good news of of Jesus Christ. We heard that a few weeks ago. It's it's possible for us. It's, It's essential for us everywhere we go. I've been listening to a young preacher up in Dallas, and he has an interesting way of putting it. It's kind of helped me refocus my own evangelism. He says every time somebody asks him, what do you do in the community? And And he says, I'm a preacher. You know how that is. Those of you who are preachers know how that is. The minute they find out what you do, they get a phone call. They don't really get a phone call, but they they say, I've got to take this. And they sort of walk off because they don't want to have the conversation. But but here's the way this this goes then is, now that you know what I do, you know we're going to have to have this conversation about Jesus. We can do it right now, or we can go get coffee, or we can... um, talk and set an appointment and you can come over to my home but we've got to have this talk now that you know what I do because I believe what I do is what everybody in this world needs preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words Jesus invites his disciples to to go with him into another village and he invites them to share with him in this ministry and it is ours not not to retaliate but notice how Jesus responds they go to another village it says in in verse 56 and then in in verses 57 to 62 there are three would-be disciples the first one says I'm going to go wherever you go and Jesus says yeah they didn't even let me in that last village so I don't even have a place to lay my head you sure you want to go with me? And Jesus says, come with me. And another one says, me first. And he says to another, come with me. And he says, me first. And Jesus says, if you're going to come with me, it can never again be me first. It has to be Jesus first. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus sends out 36 teams this time. 
And he says, not just if we retaliate, Jesus will rebuke us, but if we cooperate with him, Jesus will send us. And 36 teams of two go out to all the villages because Jesus is, is sort of sending people out to every village he's going to go to. And he lifts up his eyes and he says, look at the harvest. People are ready to receive. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but pastor, if I, if I tell people about Jesus Christ this week, they're not going to receive him as their savior. And you say, I, not everybody I've ever told about Jesus has accepted Christ as savior. I grant that, but I promise you this. All those that you have not told about Jesus Christ didn't have the chance. Was it Gretzky who said, uh, when somebody said, you shoot the hockey puck too often, he said, I know this, I miss every shot that I don't take. So my challenge to you is to speak the words of who Jesus is. He, he sends them out. And what we see is Jesus looks at the world differently than we do because he doesn't see the world as, um, as a recalcitrant group of people who need to be destroyed. He sees the world as a harvest that is plentiful and the workers are few. And he says, tell the Lord, talk to the Lord, pray to the Lord that he might literally throw out the workers into the harvest Send them out into his harvest field. And he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And when you go, here's what's going to happen. Some people are going to receive it. And he says, then you ask peace to fall on their home. Every time I get to pray in one of your homes, I always say, Lord, may your peace rest on this home and the people who live in this home. Jesus says some people aren't peaceful. They won't even experience that peace, but others will. But if they won't receive you when you go to one of these villages, he says, then go ahead and just take off your shoes and, and wipe off the dust and say, I don't even want to take your dirt with me. You can keep your dirt because I've got to go on because somewhere there's somebody who wants to hear the good news and I've got to go on to that person and to that person and to that person until everyone everywhere receives the Lord. And God will someday bring a revival in Samaria because He wants all people everywhere. It occurred to me as I looked at our slate of deacon ordinees, that uh, all five that we ordain tonight are from five different countries in the world. Five from five different countries, um, from uh, three different continents. Great men of God whom God has raised up among us. This is who we are. This is the city that we live in. This is our great privilege to do the Great Commission in our own Backyard. Not everywhere have I lived have I been able to do that. But in this city, you can. Just up and down every street. It's the United Nations. And you get the chance to tell the good news to people of all the world right here where you live. How are you doing with that? This is what I know. That as long as you and I are still wrapped up in our own tribalism, as long as it's still about whom we like and whom we don't like, we're going to miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do the one thing that we were put in this world to do. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. So I read this week an amazing story. It's from a book called The Middle Eastern Storyteller. Gary Burge tells an amazing story that was told to him by a missionary who lived in Israel. And the missionary tells a story that's been retold over and over again about a young man lying in a hospital, the Hadassah Hospital there, a young man who's dying of AIDS. And his father, who's a prominent rabbi in the city, has disowned his son. His whole family has. For heaven's sake, the doctors and the nurses are no longer interested in helping this young man who has dishonored his family by their 
perspective. He has dishonored them. And so they're just going to let him die there. He is dying there of AIDS. And when the code blue happens, the janitor who's pushing the broom notices that nobody responds to the code blue in this young soldier's room. This young soldier happened to be a part of that group that wore green berets that had actually worked in the occupied West Bank against the Palestinians there. In fact, this man who was pushing the broom, this Palestinian janitor, was a believer in Jesus Christ who happened to live in that area. Understand that there are Jewish people and there are Muslims and there are also Christians, not a whole lot, but but Christians who live in that part of the world. In fact, we had the chance, didn't we, Vic, when we were over there in, in Israel, we had the chance to go to the First Baptist Church of Nazareth. I mean, the town where Jesus was. There's a Baptist church there. And, and the, there were kids in the streets there running around throwing rocks. But in that, in that place of worship, there were people who had trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. And one of those Christians, one of those Palestinian Christians, happened to be pushing the broom when the code blue happened. And when nobody else did anything, he dropped his broom and he went in that room and administered CPR in a hospital. The janitor administered CPR in the hospital. Why? Why would he do that for a man who was perceived to be an enemy? A man who was of a different faith? A man who was a part of an army that was occupying the, the very city in which this man lived? Who maybe even had, had worked violence against this man's own family? Why would he do that? Because the Palestinian janitor is actually a follower of Jesus Christ. How do we respond to hostility with hospitality? How do we overcome rejection? Not with retaliation. Jesus shows us the way. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not with retaliation, but with redemption. So you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your amazing power to save that found a way to find us. Thank you for a love stronger than oxytocin, strong enough to break down every barrier, the love of Christ on the cross. God, permeate this church with that love. Penetrate our our, uh, hard hearts, Lord, with the reality of your love so that when we see people in need, we will respond Because that is precisely what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did and calls us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.